you can imagine a parent that's actually, you know, introducing their young children to to videos just like this in a in a positive way, saying, you know, look, honey, one day you too can be a whore up in this place. <laughs> Something, you know, <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today as always with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Nick. Good to be back, all three of us. Uh, Matt is joining us on the phone today, so if we accidentally stumble over each other's words, that's the reason. Um, Matt, we did talk about uh, the monergistic nature of sanctification last week while you were deep in the primordial forest. Were there any rebukes that you wanted to share? <laughs> no, I heard it. You guys, it was as if I were there. You, <laughs> you nailed it. That's a relief. Um, so, <laughs> so, no, I, I, remember, I remember very very clearly being told that justification is monergistic, but sanctification is synergistic, and that is, you know, you, you participate in your, in your sanctification by cooperating with God's grace. Um, I, I was, and I've been, I've been told that in, in reform circles quite often, but I, you know, when you drill down on that, I think what people tend to mean is, you know, sometimes doing good work is hard, and so you have to, you know, you, you have to knuckle down and just be obedient sometimes, even when you don't feel like being obedient. And I think people confuse or conflate works like you working to do good things with your working toward your sanctification and they're putting the cart before the horse there because the works that you strive to do flow right out of the changes God's making in you he's he's transforming you and as he does so you of course bear fruit in good works and and yeah I mean it, it, the, the good works you do are often things that you don't want to do because that's exactly why Jesus uh, why Paul says we were given the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 to keep us from doing what we want to do. So 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 those fruits aren't gonna feel I think I think people seem to feel like that, you know, if I've got the Holy Spirit and I'm holy and being sanctified that that doing good to my neighbor and loving God is just gonna be like a sweet walk in the park. The the Holy Spirit sanctification is like the easy button. You just press it and and everything goes goes well. Um but that's not the case. So all that we're all that we're saying when we're talking about sanctification is that uh, while whereas justification is God's work of freeing you from the consequences of your sin, um, and that happens at at faith when when it comes to faith, um, sanctification is God's freeing you from the power of sin, mm. um, and that's that also is by faith. It's not it's not apart from faith. You, as you take hold of Christ by faith, trust in him, look toward him, hear the gospel, he does that work in you of transforming the heart and then the necessary fruits of that is that you, you really want to do some, some things differently than you did before. And so you increasingly, well, by fits and starts, do. And then so, yeah, you do look better over time, but, but that's not because you've been good and worked hard and cooperated with your sanctification. That's because Christ is keeps his promises and he and he and you're becoming by his grace more and more conformed to his to his character amen amen well in a smooth transition uh we're going to talk about hip-hop today guys aren't you excited 
I think, yeah. I think the world needs to hear the opinions of three middle-aged white men on whatever is the top of the Hot 100 charts, right? That's an alternative title for our podcast, I think, should be. Uh, should be. <laughs> That's right. I will say that this song that we're going to talk about is the first hip-hop song I've listened to in years. Yeah. And, well, I'm really, I'm really sad about that. <laughs> yeah, that quite, it's quite a, quite, a, quite a reintroduction for you, yeah. Matt. Yeah, <laughs> say, yeah. There's, there's, wow. That's quite an on-ramp. <laughs> well, t- to be accurate, the song uh, by Cardi B and Megan V. Stallion, those are five words I never thought I'd say on this podcast, uh, their song WAP or WAP or WAP is not actually at the top of the Hot 100 right now, but it is the number one downloaded song on iTunes this week. So it is... A cultural phenomenon. It's brand new and the Hot 100 has to do with total radio plays. Anyway, the song is gross and explicitly sexually gross. The title is an acronym and the only one of the three words I can even say here is wet, which is almost gross enough in and of itself. But this song has kicked off a new installment of an old conversation conservative people and especially conservative religious people think that it's offensive. The rest of the world says you're a stick in the mud or you're a legalist or this is art or if it offends you don't listen and even this is empowering to women. But I see some real hypocrisy here. Since when can something that is offensive to someone be shrugged off as just ignore it? And is the desire for purity really legalistic or problematic in any way? I know you guys have been playing this track nonstop for the last week. What are your thoughts? Well, where do we begin? I mean, I, I think for me, the, the interest was raised by uh, reading another blog uh, by a man named Rod Dreher, who's a native Baton Rouge uh, person like myself. But anyway, he he was talking about an article in the New York Times, which I've now read. Uh, it was entitled, Christianity Will Have Power, colon, Donald Trump made a promise to white evangelical Christian whose support can seem mystifying to the outside observer. And so it was a little bit like this anthropological examination of the white evangelical for the New York Times readers. You know, so it's a really fascinating article. And this woman, Elizabeth Davis uh, Diaz, uh, goes through and, and as Dreyer points out, um, just allows these sort of Midwestern white Christian people to speak for themselves about what they see as the problems in the culture, what they see as, um, is the reason why they voted for Trump. And, and he makes this comparison out of the blue. And he even says, I'm about to give you an, admit- an admittedly um, graphic juxtaposition of these two worldviews and then introduces this Cardi B song, which I was not going to find in any conceivable way, I'm pretty sure, unless they played it at the gym, but I don't think they'd even do that. And what was fascinating to me is he was juxtaposing this article about Midwestern white sort of, you know, basically evangelical Christian sort of morality and values, you know, uh, talking um, with what is obviously considered to be mainstream, acceptable um, uh, entertainment through this Cardi B song and trying to just simply point out the fact that, that to the extent that people are, are complaining about this song, it is for at least these people in the Midwest, an altogether alternative world. You know, it's an alternative world where you would have your children, um, you know, singing along and, and sort of joyfully, uh, enjoying a song like this Cardi B song 
Um, and he was using that as a juxtaposition of the real sort of divide and sort of pushing back a little bit on the idea that these quote unquote white evangelicals were just concerned about power, you know, because for a certain group of people, it's all, everything is political. And so if any objection to anything like this song would just must be because you are fearful of losing your cultural hegemony or something, your power that you have. And he's pointing out the fact that these are rural Iowa white uh, evangelical people who just don't want to have that brought into their homes, you know, and it's not a question of being holier than thou, but it's actually a deep piety in many cases. And so you read this article uh, from the New York Times, and it's just interview after interview of people saying, well, you know, um, we want to protect I, our way of life. Yeah. Like, you know, I think there's too much divorce in the culture. I think that people are not going to church enough. I think that people need to, you know, read more of the scriptures. I think that people have forgotten God and basically saying, you know, a variation of what, of what we, we say, you know, on a regular basis. Um, but that's how I was introduced to this song, which then forced me and Eliza to watch the first 30 <clears throat> seconds of it and be horrified and read the lyrics and be revolted and felt a real sense of what Dreher was pointing to, which is that there really is two alternative worlds that have been uh, sort of at odds with each other, you know, for as long as the church has existed, but certainly in, in middle America versus sort of the, the mainstream America. And the fact that this song is, a, is as explicit as it is and as graphic as it is, is, is really just uh, the, the only pushback, the only cultural phenomenon is that there are some people who dare to question whether or not it should be celebrated is an altogether different world than like when I was in middle school and I remember the petitions about two live crew and, you know, nasty as they want to be. These albums were coming out, you know, in various governors and, and local law enforcement places were banning the sales, of course, which just skyrocketed the sales. But I was thinking these, this song would make Two Live Crew blush, you know, like whatever that guy's name was, the lead singer, like he couldn't have conceived of being allowed to be uh, rapping about this. And that was, um, seems like a lifetime ago, but it was in mine. So that's sort of my initial thoughts on the, on the issue is that I think that it, you know, the song itself, could, we should, we need to talk about it to a certain degree, but it does, um, my interest in it primarily comes from the fact that there are, there are evidently people who find absolutely nothing wrong with it and celebrate it as a, as you said before, as a, as a sex positive sort of anthem for, for young women, and you're like, well, you know, that's that's a way of seeing it, but that's not the way I see it. I mean, I think you're right to, to point out the cultural issues. I think if you think through maybe how, and I know this is a drum we always beat, but I think I think we always beat it because it's always it's always present in our in our discussion nowadays. Is going going back to your discussion of power and I think critical theory. Ultimately, I remember the Super Bowl halftime show this last. January. You guys remember this one? Oh yeah. Uh, the gyrating strip oh, yeah. pole dance. <laughs> um, but it just so happened that the women who were, who were taking part in the show were women of color. So a, a, a Latina woman and uh, an African American woman, and they were gyrating and there was kind of a simulated pole dance. And I was watching my, my, my family was elsewhere at a Super Bowl party. I was by myself cause I don't, I'm just a mean person and I don't like parties. So I was <laughs> watching this thing and I was like, oh man, I hope my, hope my boys are not watching the halftime show. Yep. I hope they're looking somewhere else. And I was just aghast. But then in the days afterwards, if you remember the debate, those who objected were castigated as racists, sexists, and 
and you know misogynist supporting of the patriarchy because That's right. yeah this was all about black skin and brown skin it was the fact that that, that these women were brave enough to to ex- explore and express their sexuality in a public stage and the only people who are upset by it are people who want to want to suppress minority voices and the sexual sexuality that is not conformed to colonial sexuality I was I was really aghast that I had not heard that language before that time with regard to blatant sexual displays. And I imagine I haven't seen the the responses to the objections to this video, but I imagine the same kinds of things are being said. Like Very is, similar. You just sure. yeah, you just don't like that. You don't like the you don't like that uh, these are two free liberated uh, women of color who are expressing themselves, and so this is really all um, all about power. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, what's happening is these women are not, I don't know what other women are thinking when they're looking at this, but men, when they look at this kind of display, aren't thinking, oh, wow, I, I just, I just sit back and, and listen more to the voices of women and, and give them more respect. And, you know, I think I'm going to, yeah, I, I really, after watching this, I, I just, I think I, I view women in a whole new light. I'm never going to treat them as sex objects again. That just doesn't happen as a result of this. Um, so I, I, I think the, uh, I think it's a real telltale sign that our culture is in, um, well, an increasingly steep decline. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's an entire reversal. You know, it's a, it, it, it reminds me of. Uh, I just recently um, reread Brave New World, and I um, was reminded, you know, the the sexual ethics that Huxley was proposing for the future, um, we've reached it. And it's the place where the savage, uh, the guy that didn't, you know, didn't grow up in the, um, in the brave new world was considered to be immoral because he refused to participate in the the orgies that they had at this, as part of the the culture. And he was considered to be irredeemably uh, repressive and, and hurtful because he, he spurned the advances of one of the women that just could not understand how this was possible, that you weren't participating in quote unquote uh, civilized society. And it just struck me that that's the place we've reached because the idea that you would have um, modesty and decorum and 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 something of a of a mystique around your your sexuality that it would be reserved that it would be put, have limits placed on it sounds insane to some people it sounds crazy it sounds unhealthy you know to the modern ears it right. sounds repressive and and harmful and uh, and that's what you see in this discussion underlying this discussion is there are people who are adamant about there being no limits, no framework within which we are, are required to express ourselves in this way, because that would then raise the question says who? Oh, right. you know, this is what this well, well, who are you to tell me what I can do with my right. body? You know, you think you're God? It's like, well, I'm not <laughs> God, but I speak, you know, I've, I've been called to speak for him. And this is what he says. Well, we don't want to hear that anymore. You know, and I think that's where I think that the there's really no no quarter for um, for any retreat in this um, in this in this battle, as it were, because the the stakes fundamentally or if there's any limit at all, other than my own consent and my own sort of self-defined limits or, or expression, well then that begs the question is, is, like I said before, it says who, which is an entirely much more frightening question than, um, than I'm really willing to, right. to deal with at this point. And so, you know, I think that, that all of these are part and parcel of the same 
the same discussion, which is why we keep coming back to it, because um, the law of God, you know, is fairly clear about um, about limit limits placed on his creatures and how they are to be um, comported, which we, of course, all transgress. But we, you know, Christian people have seen that law spoken to them um, and carried out its logical end of the transgression on the cross. Uh, and if that hasn't been met and given to you in Christ, well, then it just continues to accuse and we continue to silence it. And the louder we speak it, the, the less we think it is, spe- it is saying, um, you know, condemning us. But that's, it's not the truth. I feel like the church, and I'm, I'm sure this is not true of the church everywhere in all times, but in a little bit of my experience, the the church sort of writ large, and I'm including university fellowship groups in this, but there was a time for a young Christian when one could get the impression that what it meant to be a good Christian was to have a quiet time every morning and not have sex. Like That's <laughs> what Christianity was boiled down to, not look at pornography on the internet and have a quiet time and you're good. And I feel like for so many, there was a surfeit of gospel preaching to say that this is the law, it is good, but there is an answer for lawbreakers other than guilt and shame and hiding. Mm. And so that the this generation as it's aged, you hear a lot of these people talking about how they felt like the church made them feel bad. And this is what they call you know, purity culture. And in some of the language that I'm hearing from allegedly evangelical Christians, purity culture is being conflated with actual purity. And mm. the desire for purity is almost seen now as a bad thing. It's somehow imposing restrictions or legalistic. And the church has, for some, I think, lost the ability to proclaim the truth that purity exists, that holiness exists and should be sought after, but that there is good news for the failure. And the gospel, it seems, has been lost in the morass. No, I remember several years back, you guys probably have seen the clip. I watched the whole sermon at the time it came out by Matt Chandler about the rose. You've seen, you know, talking about there's, there was a kind of of saying in in the purity culture where, you know, if a woman if, you're, if a young girl loses her virginity, you know, you can't get that back. It's just lost. You're, no one wants a used kind of vehicle or uh, the, uh, the idea of a rose. It's been sniffed too much and has lost its scent. No one wants that. So you got to preserve yourself if you want, if you want the good things out of life, if you want a husband, if you want down, down the line. And that Chandler very rightly took that idea and said, you know what? Well, Jesus wants the rose. He, yeah. he, he wants that, that worn out body. He wants that the body that's been used and abused or, or taken part willingly in, in sexual immorality. He wants that body. He wants to bring forgiveness and, and life to, to the girl who's, who's given herself over and to the boy who's given himself over to, to sexual immorality. And that, that you're right, Nick, I think that was the aspect of the gospel. It was the gospel that was, that was missing in a lot of eighties, nineties style youth group cultures. And so people just came out frustrated because they had they had no they had no real sense of their true worth before God and their and no sense of that their sins could ever be redeemed or restored. They just felt you know one mistake I'm out and that's it. And that was a total corruption of the gospel. And I can see why if that's what you think Christianity is, 
when you when you grow up, you're going to want to throw all that aside and go headlong in the other direction. And you have right. "I'm a whore." I'm there are whores in this house as the chorus of your song, right. which is the chorus of this Cardi B song. It's Stockholm syndrome, like the the thing that you felt was oppressing you, which in this case is the good and holy, righteous law of God. You sort of subsume that language and spit it out again. And say, you know what? I am a whore. And I'm going to live into it with abandon. Right. It's a little bit like, you know, in a, in a marriage, why in a good marriage, you know, just, and I'm talking about a, a bad marriage, but a good marriage, why do both parties want to stay with one another and one another only? And that's, that's because there's genuine love going both ways. There has been a sacrifice of one for the other. There has been clear sense that you're valuable to me. I, I, I'm valuable to you. And that, I think, makes it much more difficult to contemplate violating that union. And I think when someone is forgiven by Christ and, and begins to experience, yes, he truly loves me, and he doesn't want me to do these things, not because these are arbitrary rules, but because he loves me and he wants what's good for me. And that, that's a whole new way of, whole new reason for being obedient and staying pure than, uh, well, just because. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great point. And, you know, back to your point, Nick, too, you know, I think we, a little bit of historical perspective is in order because the cultural shift that has taken place since, you know, the 1960s, you know, famously or infamously, is almost unimaginable. Um, and we are living in the, the still the, the, the wave crested, perhaps, or, or maybe it, it's, it certainly hasn't receded because, you know, the, the access first of all, to sex, you know, just without fear of, of having a child, you know, without having that responsibility hanging over your head um, was, was novel, you know, in the 20th century. But in addition to that, you had the access to pornography, which even the access to it now versus what we had when we were in high school is unimaginable, you know, with the advent of the internet and sort of, and you look at the statistics and you say, you know, if sex is not such a big deal, then why is it so profitable? <laughs> why is it the only thing that seems to be the motivator for internet uh, development and, you know, all of the... Um, all of the uh, innovations about taking credit cards online and a lot of the uh, sort of video, you know, all of these platforms on the internet were, were driven by the desire to monetize this base and powerful primal urge that people have that when it is like any powerful thing used for in ways that God hasn't designed it, it becomes self-destructive. It becomes uh, something that, that is incredibly painful in people's lives. And so in order to mitigate that pain, we have to stop people from questioning anything we're doing about it, we think, and celebrate, like you said before, this, this yeah. sort of alternative view that, that says nothing I'm doing is wrong because it couldn't be wrong because it couldn't, the, the weight of what might be if we are wrong on this is too great. And so I think, you know, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s in youth groups, you know, I think to be fair to our youth ministers, they were like Marie Curie and like developing, you know, using um, uh, atomic energy or, or barium or whatever the heck it was. She was plutonium. Um, you know, they didn't know what the heck they were dealing with. You know, it was like, an, and, and then of course, you know, you do the research into this and I have a son and I'm a man. And so I'm concerned about raising an, another man. And you look at the ways that 
um, this sort of stimulation, particularly men, like rewires brains and becomes addictive and starts desensitizing people. And it's unbelievable how powerful this, this sort of uh, drive is. And the idea that perhaps we would want to limit exposure, if not, um, if not control uh, that for the sake of our children as we raise them, seems like a no-brainer unless you're working from this alternative world, this alternative... Um, this where there is no standard, where there is that's no right. God. I mean, I don't understand because... I mean, I mean, what parent would want, I mean, you, you, you can imagine a parent that's actually, you know, introducing their young children to, to videos just like this in a, in a positive way saying, you know, look, honey, one day you two can be a whore up in this place. Lord have mercy. That makes me sound talk? like a grumpy old, a grumpy old man. Get off my lawn. You know, Get these kids and their rock and roll music. Well, you know, so be it. Well, you know, we're talking as if, and I, we don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying you mean it this way, but we're, we're all kind of talking in a way as if this is a new development, a new thing that's happened. Right. But, you know, I really think it's just it, it's it, the quick, the speed with which Judeo-Christian culture has you know, evaporated over the last, say, 20 years. Um, I think it set us back to what, you know, maybe, maybe not a familiar place to us, but a familiar place to the church. And, you know, go back to the first, second century, you had orgies, sexuality expressed in the context of pagan ritual. That was a normal part of it. I mean, there was sex was sex was something that was sacralized in pagan worship. And it was, of course, not something that at least a man in, the, in a pagan world would have been condemned for. And in right. many cases, not women either. And and so you have all kinds of sexual expression going on as a matter of religion. And here comes the gospel and here comes the church. And people are refusing to engage. They may be pulling out of their regular habits of life and becoming different. And, and how, are they, how are they dealt with? Well, they're, they're considered haters of mankind. They've divorced themselves from the, the wider pagan culture. And, well, here we are again. You know, this, uh, the, 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 the temples might, may be different. The gods right. worshipped are certainly uh, different. But, uh, well, not really. At the heart, they're ourselves. It's, it's the, the gospel of this age is look within yourself, see who you are, become that person, and don't let anyone stop you. And it's just another projection of the self into the skies and worshiping itself. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we have two very different, as always, the church yes. finds itself confronted with a, a religion that is really just another way of following the prince of the power of the air and the gospel. That's right. Well, and you look at the, I was saying you can go further back even than the, um, in the New Testament, you know, you look at the injunctions of the, the old, you know, the Levitical laws were, were written in part to d- distinguish and delineate amongst the other mm-hmm. pagan, you know, in distinction to the other pagan religions. And it's unsurprising that a lot of those laws have to do precisely with how you comport yourself sexually, you know, how your family's regulated, how you you have limits on your sexuality, how, you know, unlike the pagans, you know, we don't kill our right. babies. We don't beat our wives. We don't um, have uh, adulteresses. We don't, you know, and if and when you do, then you've transcribed and here's what you have to do to come back into the good graces of the community. And that was just carried over into the New Testament. And you have you have books written about this, about how 
you know, that the, the sort of quote unquote invention of monogamy, you know, um, which was, a, you know, which is to some people's minds a terrible thing, but, you know, was certainly prescribed by the Jews and then carried over into the church, um, sort of revolutionized uh, the, the world because it all of a sudden it took this incredible power and directed the energy that, that men in particular have towards this um, in a variety of other ways, you know, in, in work and in, in child rearing and protection and agriculture and industry. Um, as opposed to doing what we see many men, sadly our age even, um, and certainly younger doing today, which is just sitting around on the internet, you know, just, just <laughs> constantly looking at pornography um, and having, you know, virtual relationships with, with, with millions and millions of women, it seems, um, in, or at least if the statistics play out. And so we should be unsurprised that there's a power behind this. We should be unsurprised that God has spoken to this power because he created the, the, the drives. And we should also be unsurprised that it can so easily be corrupted and turned into a self-destructive force, which is what the church has been saying, as you rightly said, Matt, since its inception, you know, since its very inception. And so, you know, I, I used the analogy once when I was, conf- I was accused of being, um, uh, you know, one of these evangelicals that is just so obsessed with sex. And this was when I was working in Vienna. And I pointed out to them, I said, well, you know, in Vienna, we have a nice airport here. It's got a Starbucks and a news store or whatever. And when you get off like gate 17 or whatever, there's a sex store in the airport. You know, So it's like, I brought you something home from my business trip to Vienna, honey. You know, like you'll never guess. And I said, so that speaks to a level of interest in sex, you know, right next to the Starbucks that I think you can, we can safely say that I'm not the only one that's interested in this concept as an evangelical. And what I'm simply saying is that if there's this giant river of interest in sex and sex and and we're simply a a one rock in the middle you know and around that river is going to be some some waves and some white water but we're simply saying that we are sharing your interests but we are we are working them through a different paradigm and a different prism and that sounds like the woman in brave new world to the savage like you are you're insane Sounds like you're uncivilized. You know, how could you possibly be so regressive yeah. and, and backwards thinking that, that you could be monogamous, you know, that you, would, that you would try to avert your eyes, that you wouldn't celebrate something like this video. It's like, well, um, how long do you have to talk? You know, like how long will you let me <laughs> talk? Because probably not very long given our cancel culture, as it were. But, um, but there you have it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when you... When you uh, when you're in a discussion with a revisionist or a you know, liberal, liberal, uh, liberal Protestant, liberal Catholic, and this topic comes up, one of the first things they'll say, especially if you're talking about the scriptures, they'll say, well, you know, we'll go back and look at the context of Romans 1, or go back and look at the context of, of Leviticus, Leviticus 18, and, you know, they were dealing with how to live out the, the life of faith in the midst of a pagan unbelieving culture and in opposition to pagan religion. Well, you know, we, we, are, we don't live in that culture anymore. So right. that context is not here. So, so we don't need to take those texts and apply them to our, to our present day. And yes, we are there. That's, that's pretty, yeah, that was a context, but that's precisely the context we find ourselves in. This, this is again, another, this is a, this is the reassertion of human self-worship just in another guise. That's right. It's all false, all other, all other religions aside from the Christian faith now and the, the worship of Yahweh then in the Old Testament, 
it's all just another uh, different variations of how the human being becomes like God That's right. um, and chooses his own good and evil for himself. And the same thing happened at the enlightenment and all throughout yep. history. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the first thing, the first, I was reading a book about the French revolution um, just in preparation for um, the rise of our modern Napoleon. But anyway, the, um, uh, <laughs> the, the first thing, the first axes were laid at the heart of monogamy and divorce. You know, they were like, let's get rid of any prohibitions against monogamy and let's make it easier to get a divorce. And like there were, there was a, there was, you know, so nothing new, under the sun with respect to overthrowing the, the oppressive bonds of religion, you know? And I think that's where I, at the end of the day, come down is like, I don't have any revulsion. I mean, I had certain to reading these lyrics, there was some revulsion that people were talking about these things, but, but for the people themselves, you know, as a pastor, I have a deep, deep sense of, of uh, concern and, you know, and, and of, of, of compassion for a world that has, so convinced someone to celebrate, you know, there are whores in this house as the model of this and to, to sort of embrace that as a power symbol, as a, as a, as a something to be aspired, something to which you should aspire as opposed to um, what the beautiful picture that I think the, the gospel gives us, you know, the, of redeemed men and women, you know, redeemed base desires, you know, raised out of our, um, out of our brokenness and sin to something of, 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 a, of a, yes, a, a imperfect image, but a, a aspirational image of a world where, where men and women celebrate, revere, and, and work and live together in a, in a much more beautiful way than that, than that video seems to, to allude. Right. Uh, and, you know, I can say that as a practitioner, you know, of, of being married now 17 years, you know, as imperfect as I am as a person, I get echoes and glimpses of what God in his, um, his goodness will reveal finally as this beautiful union of men and women, which is the image of him on earth. But until then, when we, when we come up against alternative religious expressions, which is what that video is, of what it means to be a healthy and functioning human woman or man, then we're going to find ourselves in uh, in a bit of a disagreement. And like you said, Nick, it's happened before and it'll happen again. And we'll just continue to watch God bring people out of darkness um, and out of their blindness to this into something of the redeeming hope that is his vision for, for male, female sexuality in, in, in the world. And of course, as we continue to watch the Lord do that, we will continue to preach and teach and try to communicate the good news, the redeemed life, the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are unfortunately out of time this week. As always, we have only scratched the surface of what we could say. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, please keep in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email to mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We so appreciate your participation with us. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. As always, I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. 